Innovation races on, and China is moving fast with the goal of adding technology to its manufacturing-based economy. Want proof? Take a look at the country's R&D tax incentives, a variety of generous benefits for companies investing in technological innovation. No wonder experts are worried that China, now on its 14th five-year plan, could overtake the United States in terms of R&D spending. What do China's R&D incentives look like? And how is the country positioning itself to take the global innovation lead and leave the U.S. in the dust? Both good questions. And today, cross-border solutions R&D experts Alan Tobin and Rahim Walji are here to answer them. Hello, everyone. I'm Matthew DeMello, your host of Cross-Border Solutions, the Fiona Show R&D tax credit podcast. Obviously, today we're diving into China's R&D tax incentives, and there's a lot to cover. So let's get started. Uh, let's look at China's economy, and we'll start with Rahim. Where is China positioned right now? Thanks, Matt. China's position right now is transitioning from a manufacturing-based economy, now moving towards an innovation-based economy. So, particularly, they're looking at high-tech innovation. Um, they've been trying to develop their own core technologies in semiconductors and other areas to reduce exposure to U.S. supply chains as well as other global supply chains. So they're they're in a transition phase right now and really pushing hard towards the innovation side. Yeah, I, I would just add to that, Raheem, that, you know, technology ownership and being number one in any particular industry has always been a, a great source of pride and patriotism in China. So it sort of fits well within what they're trying to accomplish. Of course. And Alan, staying with you, how is the U.S. stacking up compared to China? Well, the U.S. still leads the world in total R&D investments at about 30%. It's actually shrunk to less than 30% of the total research spending in the world. From a broad spectrum, 2000 to 2017, the U.S. spending grew an average rate about 4.3%, but China's spending increased at a rate of 17% a year. By 2017, the U.S. accounted for 25% of the $2.2 trillion global R&D spend. China made up 23%, so getting very close. 2018 figures show China spending at $463 billion, and that's only about $90 billion behind the U.S. In 2019, the R&D spend as a percentage of gross domestic product was 2.8% in the U.S. and 2.2% in China. China wants to hit that 2.8% number by 2025, and I, I think these numbers are extraordinary. When you think about the growth in R&D spend and where China wants to be, Coupled with one of the world's largest workforces, labor forces, they could very quickly overtake the U.S. as the world's leader in R&D. Raheem, anything to add there from the U.S. perspective? Is this as bad as it looks? The, the gap continues to close at a very, very fast rate. And when you think about the size of, of the Chinese economy and what percentage of that is going back into R&D-related or innovation-related um, investments, it's, it's definitely going to... Um, push the U.S. into a position where we're going to have to to make a decision on where we want to be in terms of, you know, do we want to remain at the forefront or are we going to continue to 
to let the R&D slide and, and, and fall further down the list. And of course, that's where China's R&D tax incentives come in. Now we know the U.S. offers R&D tax credits, period. What types of R&D incentives does China offer as a way to encourage more technological innovation? Well, they have super deductions, reduced taxable income. They have VAT waivers. They have support for venture capital and startups. They have special economic zones offering special incentives. They have tax holidays. All those are different from what we see here in North America, especially the U.S. In the U.S., we only have the tax credit available at the federal level. The Chinese regime has a wide spectrum of incentives available, and I think it's really showing its benefits in in terms of how different companies are able to take advantage of it. Whereas in the U.S., it's really only a limited set of benefits that are available, some of which we've talked about here that may sunset at, at certain points or may change at certain points. And so, you know, variety is the spice of life. They've definitely done a great job at providing a number of different opportunities for companies to avail themselves of. I think it engages all sorts of different industries because there are going to be certain benefits that favor a particular industry over others. So I think it's very broad and it's broad by design because China is looking to not only get into the high technology space, but really to expand their entire verticals within the country and within its labor force. It gives the country an opportunity to assist innovative companies of all different sizes, right? And what that allows is whether it's a startup, whether it's an established business, it is providing tax benefits in, in so many different ways that, Yes, while there may be a myriad of requirements that you need to to navigate and things of that nature, and that can always be a challenge, especially when it comes to taxes, right? Tax codes are generally very, very complicated and and sometimes not easy to understand. So yes, if you're a company trying to look at six different benefits that you're trying to take, likely you're going to prioritize the ones that are the most value to you. And I think the way the regime is set up, it allows companies to, to make that decision and, and see what they're eligible for and then continue to take advantage as opposed to just recently from the U.S. standpoint, right? If you were in an AMT position, that caused you a challenge and you couldn't take the credit. If you're in NOLs, sometimes it's it's not opportune to take it right now. You may want to wait a few years and do it later because you're in losses. So I feel like the variety gives you opportunities to hit companies at different levels and it doesn't, you know, we, we constantly hear on our side, right? Are we educating companies of how the U.S. law has changed and, and been become more broad because there's only one credit. People made an assumption of how that credit worked. And, and you know, Alan and I see this all the time where there's companies that still believe that they don't qualify because they haven't seen the, the changes that come up in the, in, the, in the only U.S. benefit that exists. I, I think you bring up a great point, too. You know, you think about VC or startup companies, there's really not much opportunity for them in the U.S., for example, I mean, there may be some payroll credit offsetting. They Maybe they're eligible to claim a research credit, but a lot of it depends on whether or not they're paying tax. So it can be very difficult for those types of companies to uh, receive any benefit. And as you had mentioned, with the myriad of benefits in China, um, it's almost as if you have an a la carte. You can pick and choose which ones you want to go for. We don't have the same protocol here in the U.S., Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. 
Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University Weekly. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai slash tpu. Rahim, staying with you, those are some of the incentives which are varied. A big factor and one that can be overlooked in terms of R&D generosity is how a jurisdiction defines R&D. Let's talk about how China defines R&D. How do they define R&D? So the definition in China is actually relatively broad. The the way that they've defined it is a, a creative application, I believe, of new science and technology for the purpose of obtaining new uh, technical knowledge or scientific knowledge, right? That's one aspect that they use to define how R&D, right? So you think about creative application of new science and technology. So you're taking potentially new technologies or new discoveries or new products and and you're trying to make them, uh, you're trying to learn from them, you're trying to implement them in different ways, you're trying to achieve efficiencies in different areas or or reduce resource usage or consumption in different areas, right? So that's one creative application. And I think another alternative that they've defined it as is a continuous systematic focus of activities that have specific goals on achieving a substantive improvement of a technology, a product, a service or a process, right? So they give you some guidelines, but it's a relatively broad definition and it's meant to be slightly over-inclusive so that companies can take advantage of it. And the regime does a relatively good job of providing sort of benchmarks or, or boundaries, if you will, on how far you can take those, those definitions. You know, I, I look at the word creative and I think that's a very broad word. And when you compare it to Example, the innovation standard that you have in Canada or what we used to have here in the U.S., you know, it clearly appears that the threshold is lower. And I think the same thing about the word substantive, that seems very vague, especially in comparison to the standard of a new or improved business component, right, Raheem? You know, where it's very succinct in terms of what can qualify. I think the sort of that broadness of those two words is really going to enable a lot of people to be eligible to claim one of these benefits. Of course. Uh, Staying with Rahim, which taxpayers can benefit here? So, you know, this, this goes along with what we were talking about with variety comes a variety of, you know, a variety of incentives comes a variety of different companies that can, that can claim it. You know, it depends on which, which benefit are we talking about the super deductions? Are we talking about value added tax waivers? Are we talking about, you know, the R&D credit that, that, that they're looking at for, for specific types of companies, which, uh, you know, HNTEs and TASEs and what types of activities are they performing. So it's really broad in terms of who can benefit. And I think that's the goal. Again, there are rules, you know, for each of these benefits that are there in terms of who can, who can apply and what's there. But it's really focused on if you had to, you know, broadly categorize it, I would say there's two types of taxpayers that can benefit from it. So there's Chinese-owned enterprises who align with very, very strict qualifications. And then there's qualified entities, which can include foreign-owned companies 
who conduct business in China that also have access to some of these benefits. So you have specific sort of, you know, within country or you know, domestic to China, if you will, companies that can claim certain benefits. And then you also have some foreign companies that can claim some benefits as well. So you can see they're not limiting it to just U.S. companies or to just Chinese companies. They're opening it up to even foreign-owned corporations doing business in the country and how they're going to be able to take advantage of it as well. And staying with Rahim, certain Chinese-owned enterprises get special benefits. Can you tell us about those? Yes. And this is a little bit, as you know, to what I was alluding a few minutes, you know, a few seconds ago is, what the, the Chinese government has instituted is two different types of companies or the way they've defined them. One is called an HNTE, a high and new technology enterprise. And the other one is a TASE or TASC, which is a technologically advanced service corporation or, or enterprise, right? So HNTE is pretty straightforward, right? Developing high technology or new technology. And TASCs are, are really companies that are focused on offshoring or, or high-tech offshoring or outsourcing of work, right? So they have a lot of talented individuals, very knowledgeable resources, engineers, scientists, all, all those folks, and they outsource those types of roles to other types of R&D companies. So these are the two specific enterprises that, as we mentioned, you know, China is really focused on transferring towards innovation, right? So you're not seeing manufacturing companies. These are HNTEs and TSEs. So this goes along with, you know, the direction that they're heading of shifting their focus on the types of companies that they want to reward. Of course. And the benefits for HNTEs are very generous. Companies that meet the requirements are eligible for both the reduced corporate income tax rate, that's 15% instead of 25%, and the super deduction. To qualify, companies have to apply to the state and show that they meet certain criteria. Alan, uh, what are those requirements? Uh, they are substantial, and there's a list, and they have to be able to sh- show sufficient ownership of intellectual property registered in China. There are monitoring boards, so what is sufficient can be measured. That's demonstrate the capability of converting their research and development into IP. There's a minimum R&D headcount requirement, a share of revenue and spend. They have to demonstrate the ability to properly manage those R&D activities, and you also must show significant growth in revenue and assets. And to me, I mean, I think that's interesting. You have to be a moneymaker. And that sort of begs the question, if you can lose your special status. The technology must be used in the core products or service offering. And the technology must relate to a higher new technology area that Raheem was mentioning before that is supported by the state. And these are very specific. It's computer data science, biotech, life sciences, aerospace, new materials, high-tech services, energy, environmental resources, and automation. So, again, getting into those high-technology areas. The companies that meet these requirements, we get an HNTE status certificate, and you have to apply in advance, and the certificate's valid for three years. Any tax losses that generate can be carried forward for up to 10 years, so that's an ancillary benefit as well. The HNTEs must compile and retain documentation, backing up their activities, and file it for the tax bureau review within five months after the end of the annual income tax filing deadline. Now, I mentioned that this is monitored. This is monitored by the Ministry of Science and Technology, the Ministry of Finance, and the State Administration of Taxation. So there's a lot of eyes on this. And again, with so many monitoring boards, there's no guarantee that once you were granted a certificate for three years, you will be granted another one at the end of those three years. So these requirements are ongoing. 
So what about TASEs? How do requirements for those companies differ from HNTEs? Yeah, great question. You know, there, there, there's two two types of companies. What were the differences? So they're overseen by the same agencies that Alan just mentioned, right? So Ministry of Science and Technology, Ministry of Finance, and then State Administration uh, of Taxation. But there's also one more that sits on sort of the board, if you will, for TASEs, and that's the National Reform and Development Commission. So there's an additional regulatory body, if you will, that that oversees this group specifically for TASEs. TASEs are also entitled to a reduction in the corporate income tax rate to down to 15%. They're also entitled to a zero VAT VAT or value-added tax treatment on qualified revenue from offshore outsourcing services. TASEs are also entitled to zero VAT treatment or value-added tax or VAT treatment on qualified revenue from offshore outsourcing services. And then they have the ability to deduct a portion of certain salaries of individuals are involved. But the limitation on TASEs is they are generally not entitled to the super deduction. So they generally only get the zero VAT and the reduced CIT. They don't get the super deduction. They just get the general deduction. Raheem, even without that super deduction, though, those are some pretty valuable benefits. I mean, reducing your corporate income tax rate, being able to deduct certain salaries and, you know, the zero VAT treatment, that's fairly substantial. Yeah, as you can see, right, it's just one type of company, but there are three different benefits, right? They get the deductibility of the salaries, they get the zero VAT treatment and the corporate, it's not just one, right? And so I agree with you, it's China's really trying to incentivize these types of companies to continue innovating and, and investing money in, in that innovation. The company has to be registered in mainland China, and they must be engaged in one qualified outsourcing activity that requires advanced technological and R&D capacities, IT outsourcing or ITO, business or knowledge processing outsourcing, which is either BPO or KPO, highly educated workforce, which means at least 50% of your employees have to be graduates with an associate degree or higher. That's a fairly substantial threshold. And there are revenue requirements as well. At least half of your revenue must be derived from qualified, technologically advanced services. And 35% has to come from offshore outsourcing services. So the requirements are pretty particular. Um, the tase is that they must secure pre-approval to apply for any of these incentives. And as Rahib had mentioned, you're not only talking about three regulatory bodies, you're talking about four regulatory bodies when you're talking about a TASE. And the great thing is they, th- this is continuously focused on outsourcing, right? Offshore outsourcing. So you can see China saying we want to push beyond you know the domestic boundaries and, and we're still going to reward you for it. Of course, in qualified software enterprises is another category of companies that qualifies for R&D tax relief. What are the requirements for those companies, Raheem? So there's a little bit of higher level of, of intensity or scrutiny when it comes to, to these, these qualified software enterprises. There's a little bit of a higher threshold. So, you know, Alan and I have referenced some Canadian requirements and, and some other countries, right? This particular company in China, you know, definitely has a higher scrutiny level in terms of R&D. They have to have intellectual property ownership of the various products and processes developing. There are certain educational level requirements within the, the software, qualified software enterprises, meaning similar to how Alan was talking about the TASEs and, and needing to have a certain amount of the workforce be educated You have the same thing happening there on qualified software enterprises. And then you also have revenue and expenditure requirements. So generically, what I mean by that is the company has to generate a certain amount of revenue from certain areas, similar to to TASEs. 
they also have to have certain types of spending. So they have to be investing the dollars in certain areas and, and to certain thresholds. So that's also a factor. So you can see the qualified software enterprises definitely have a, a little bit of a additional requirements to meet. The last one that, that, that comes to mind is um, time of recording. And so what that means is the group, the, the tax incentives for the group they're supposed to be rewritten, right? So when you actually record yourself as a qualified software enterprise, the, there's supposed to be some changes that need to be made to your tax filings. And so that the time at which you record when it happened is also relative because the, the rules have changed over time. Right. Something that I'm noticing here, though, is the definition of R&D in China is so broad, yet the requirements for each of these individual groups of companies that end up getting the benefits are so specific. What's the meaning behind that? I think what that means is that since the, some of these requirements are so stringent, you know, China's trying to really be hyper-focused on its end game to get the right type of companies in there that are eligible for the benefits. The benefits are very lucrative, but they're also very highly focused on bringing in these HNCEs and the TASES. And if you can qualify, meet all the requirements that are mandated, then you'll be eligible to claim those credits. But we're also sort of shoehorning the industry that high technology that China is very focused on. So they want to make sure that they get the right vertical, the right industry uh, in, the, in the country to be claiming these credits. The type of R&D incentive that comes about in various countries is what, what we're seeing is highly dependent on whether the company has a mature structure that they want to implement. So I think what you're seeing in China is the result of a mature infrastructure, a mature idea and direction and strategy of where they want to see themselves. And, and I think what, what the country's done well is they're always looking a few years ahead, right? They're saying, okay, 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, where do we want to be? Where do we see this as sort of a longer term strategy? Whereas, you know, there are some countries that are just throwing things against the wall to see what sticks. We're just going to pour some more money into R&D very generically and see where things shake out in terms of what has the best impact. They're still experimenting and trying to figure out how best to utilize the dollars for their particular economic circumstances in those countries. So I think what we see with different benefits in different countries is certain countries have a mature objective and where they're trying to go and others are really still growing and nascent in their R&D tests or R&D opportunities. And so we're sort of seeing that play out and how different incentives are created and managed in different countries. You know, Raheem, not quite the same, but when I think about the rules in China, I also think about the rules in Australia, right? Which, like China, has a very lucrative tax credit scheme. I mean, you can claim almost 50% of your, of your well, the credit itself is almost, turns out to be almost 50% for some entities. But similar to China, the rules are very strict. There you have, you know, including the ATO, you have two regulatory authorities overlooking the R&D, and they too are trying to get foreign entities to invest in Australia. So similar from that perspective. I would agree with you. You know, you, you have a lot of, of countries that have different governing bodies. You have application processes, right? I, I was thinking about Spain with some of the pre-certification that, that China's going through on their side, right? Spain is requires companies to get pre-certified, get approved by these governing bodies. You have a tax authority body. You also have an industry governing body that, that's working through these things, not so much on the international or, or outside of Spain side. So I think Australia is a good example. New Zealand is also doing the same thing. 
is trying to incentivize outside the domestic boundaries, despite the limitations that they have. And, and all, they're still opening up opportunities for those things. And yes, multiple governing bodies can be, but if they're operating, I think Australia is an example of, you know, governing bodies that really operate well in tandem, have the technological side of the review, and then you have the tax side of the review, and they do a really good job of keeping those domains, right? Aus industry versus ATO. They, have, they do a really good job of, of keeping those those separated in, in their domains. Note to multinational companies everywhere. If you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant. But then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, big four. We've got the answer. Cross-border solutions, A, AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of Cross-Border Solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp. That's xbs.ai slash tp. And are R&D incentives available to companies that are not H-N-T-E or T-A-S-E companies? Let's start with Alan. The quick answer is yes. Companies with eligible R&D expenses, they can qualify for the super deduction, which is a 75% deduction over and above the full original expense. So it really turns out to be 175%. The expenses cannot be converted into intangible assets, and they have to be included in the current P&L. If they have been converted into intangible assets, then they have to be amortized before tax at 175%, that number jumps up to 200% for manufacturers of the actual cost of the intangible assets. Sticking with what we've been talking about, you have to get advanced approval from the tax authorities. Not in this case. These companies just have to comply with ordinary tax return procedures, which is very similar to how we claim the credit here in the U.S. You just simply file your tax return. You can apply for the super deduction retroactively. This is pretty interesting. You can look back up to three years after the qualifying expenses were incurred. And they're sort of making no secret about how they're leaning on the scales here, because for HNTEs and TASEs, these companies, the benefits are just so much. If you're on the outside, you still get benefits, but they're declaredly not as good. I think that's exactly right. They're offering you this super deduction, which, again, is just affecting your taxable income. It's not a credit on your tax liability. So there is still an incentive available for you, but it's not as lucrative as a full tax credit that's available to the HNTEs and the TASEs. Right. And and not to get too global or big picture about it, but it's very clear China is prioritizing certain companies over others for a reason. And that reason is also entrenched in other things that we see in their R&D policy, uses of soft power, things that those in the international community and diplomacy are very familiar with. But at the end of the day here, they're not really making a secret about anything that they're doing or how they're trying to tip the scales. 
there's absolutely a, a method to the government's madness when it comes to R&D. They are laser focused on bringing in particular industries. They're really focused on high technology right now. And it's not as if they want to forget about everybody else. So the super deduction is still there, but they're giving all these great benefits to exactly the type of industry that, you know, the high technology that they want to bring onto their shores. Yep, they're opening the pipe wider for certain companies that they want to focus and facilitate on. And then they're keeping the flow going, though. You know, they're continuing to incentivize other countries because overall they still want to continue to incentivize and grow R&D across the, the country, right? They want to increase it as a percentage of their GDP. But they're really investing in these specific types of companies with credits as opposed to deductions because similar to what you saw a little bit in terms of some of the U.S., proposals that are out there, right, of, of these enterprise zones and these different centers of innovation and, and things like that, they see that these types of companies are really going to provide the biggest return over the next cycle of, of time, right, whether that be five years, 10 years, 15 years. So they're saying credits for these companies are going to be more impactful. Let's incentivize these companies because we want this longer term payback or this ROI to come through with these types of companies, because that's where the country believes economic environment, technical environment, scientific environment is all heading in that direction. I totally agree with that. You you know, when you look at sort of the technological advances over the last 30, 40 years, computers, cell phones, smartphones, you know, high technology is really the wave of the future. I think China has a very good grasp of that. And I think that they've tailored these rules around their R&D benefits to really hone in on that specific industry. Because, Rahim, I think you're 100% right. These are really the potential moneymakers in the future. These are the ones that could change the way we live every day. And I think China gets that. Yeah, I mean, you went from being a country that – you may know that, you know, this is made in the U.S., quote unquote, but the nuts and bolts came from, you know, China, you know, you know all of these. Yeah. That's where the manufacturing piece came into play. And now this real push, this real shift in, in economic dollars and attention and regulations, everything to be more favorable for these these technological advancements and, and high technology specifically. The Chinese government announced in March 2021 that it would be extending the VAT tax break. Rahim, can you refresh our memories on how that tax break works? Sure. It's available, first off, to domestic and foreign-funded R&D enterprises that purchased or Chinese-made equipment between the years of 2019 and 2023. The VAT or VAT or value-added tax will continue to be refunded in full. And qualifying private institutions can also be eligible for exemptions from VAT import duty and consumption tax when it comes to importing items for scientific R&D use. So you're seeing, you know, this this extension of this break now apply to a couple of different areas and some additional duties and taxes that may come in on. As long as you're using it for scientific R&D purposes, you're starting to see a little bit of leeway there as well. Patent box and technology transfer schemes can also be very generous in China. Alan, can you tell us about that? Absolutely. You know, the customs duty on R&D equipment is waived. You're fully exempt from income tax. If you have income of up to 5 million RMB, which is about 800,000 US dollars, the income above RMB 50 million is entitled to a 50% reduction. And the companies have to generate revenue from the IP. The sale 
or licensing of intellectual property would be an example, but it just can't sit there. You have to be generating revenue from the intellectual property. That's pretty important. Right. It's not just there to get a patent, keep it and prevent other people from doing it. Like you have to be exercising it. You have to be implementing it. You have to be doing something with the technology. They're not just trying to play this sort of let's rack up as many patents as we can and keep it out there. It's you want a patent, you got to do something with it if you want to see the benefit of it. And up until 2019, China's super deduction was only available to small and mid-sized enterprises with qualifying R&D expenses. Rahim, is that still the case? It is not. Believe it or not, size no longer matters in that particular realm when it comes to the super deduction. Now they offer the, the super deduction to businesses of all sizes. As Alan had mentioned earlier, manufacturing still does get a little bit of a boost. You know, I think it was 75% for most companies and manufacturing gets 100% extra. The Chinese government also announced uh, last spring that it would start providing small to mid-sized enterprises with loans if they needed as well to, to continue to support R&D related investments. And then they also offer an income tax reduction for small to medium-sized enterprises who meet certain limitations or requirements, meaning they're performing certain levels of R&D and therefore they're going to allow an income tax reduction for, for something. So it's it's not just limited anymore. They definitely have opened up the opportunities to, to a lot more Chinese companies. So we can see why experts are worried that the U.S. could fall behind China in terms of R&D, China's increasing incentives and the U.S. plans for amortization of R&D expenses. But then China is looking for change as the government wants the economy powered not only by manufacturing, but also technology, and they're going for it. Uh, any speculation about the future of R&D in these two countries? I, I think it's clear. China is only going upward, especially based on this podcast that we've, the discussion we've had today. You know, this is one of their government's top priorities. Hopefully the U.S. sees the writing on the wall and continues to contend for the top worldwide spot. And I think the government has, so, you know, as there has been bipartisan support for enhancing the credit over the last few years. There's been talk about doubling it. There's been talk about getting rid of the amortization requirements that are coming out this January. There's been a lot of talk, but nothing's been done. Everything's been stalled, and we have no idea what's going to happen in the near term with what's going on with the, the current White House, current administration. You know, certain items like the new amortization rules and the different enforcement methods at the state, the federal level. And I think about Texas and California and how they're deviating from what the IRS is doing. They're taking a very stringent approach to the state R&D claims. It needs to be looked at as well. And I don't know if there could be some sort of omnibus provision that comes out to support that. But something's got to change in the U.S. And I would say, however, in my mind, there is really nothing like an injection into R&D to help an economy turn around. It's what we need. It's what the U.S. needs. And enhancing the current benefits could certainly play a big role in that. And I think we have an opportunity. We know what China's doing. We know that they are very successful. And that could certainly be us. So we'll see what happens. I agree. I think, you know, there's a very clear plan and focus from, from the Chinese government of where they want to go. The U.S. There seems to be a consensus in certain groups, at least or on certain particular items that, that may be of value. I think both countries clearly understand the importance of R&D. The question is whether the U.S. is going to continue to, for lack of a better term, put its money where its mouth is and say, look, we, we're going to go for it. You're going to see it in the amortization sunset. You're going to see it in, and you know, we're going to pull back these things. We're going to continue to incentivize. We're not just going to look at semiconductors and medical technology. We're going to look at climate tech. We're going to, look, you know, th there's got to be a lot of support that that's really there in the dollars. And ideally you see that through not just 
an expansion of who can apply for R&D, but you see it in through an expansion of different types of benefits that are available for different types of groups of companies at different stages of a business life cycle. So the opportunity is, is, is ours to lose, but you're definitely seeing the Chinese R&D program and regime really start to take off and really start to get more laser focused on where they want to see their growth. A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross-Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai slash rd. That's xbs.ai slash rd. We want to thank Rahim and Alan for joining us on this very informative discussion. If you like today's podcast, you're going to love the other shows in Cross-Border Solutions Tax Podcast Suite. That's the Fiona Show Transfer Pricing and the Fiona Show Tax Provision. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's the Fiona Show R&D Tax Credit, and we'll keep you up to date on the latest in this beneficial credit every week. My name is Matthew DeMello, and they let me host, edit, and engineer this podcast. Mary Lynn Mitchum-Strom is our executive producer. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We'll catch you next time.